Well, good morning. I tell you what, um, uh, there are a couple of songs, one primarily, that will almost cause me to make most of you nervous in the middle of a worship service because How Great Is Our God is one of my favorite songs. And uh, the kids are always asking, what's your favorite this, what's your favorite that? And and I've, you know, music's always been a huge part of my life, so it's hard for me to pin down, but that is at the top. In fact, that's on my, uh, my funeral song list. And so, Tressa doesn't know this, but she will eventually. I've been planning out my funeral along the way. I want you to know I'm only halfway finished. I'll let, I'll let you know when, I'm, when I've got it complete, but that is, uh, that is one of my songs. And I don't know if, if uh, Dal, if that was you on the tenor, but man, that, um, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful song, a beautiful, Sentiment, how great is our God. And we come together on a, on a morning like this uh, as, as a testimony to how great our God is because that brings us together, uh, this greatness of God who has made us family, who has brought us together in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, we come together and we remember uh, as we did this morning. And I just wonder, how, how do you want to be remembered? You know, you think about that. You know, I was talking about my, my funeral, uh, funeral service. So how do you want to be remembered? You know, a lot of people are remembered for different things. What is it about you that you want generations to come to, to, to know about you, to remember about you? Have you ever thought about that? you ever given it much thought? Uh, ever played around with that a little bit? Um, maybe you simply want to be remembered. And as uh, reminded in our prayer this morning uh, about those who are having trouble remembering that they, maybe they can't remember, but let us not forget them. Maybe you just want to be remembered by someone in some way. There are volumes of books written about the, the actions and the, the, the idiosyncrasies of people who have lived throughout history and significant accomplishments that some of them are remembered for, world-changing conquests, amazing feats of humanity, and the most unimaginable evil alongside the greatest generosities broad range of stuff people are, are remembered for. And I think most people want to be remembered for something. We don't want to be forgotten. We don't want to be remembered for something by someone. And because of my Christian perspective, my worldview, I say the most poignant scene that I can remember, think about, in the history of the world is Jesus hanging on the cross, the Son of God dying on a criminal's cross. And I want to go forward from our study in Elijah just for a moment to the Elijah the prophet, to the new Elijah. And I want to look at ahead so that we can remember. Jesus hanging on this cross. God, do you hear me? Why have you forsaken me? The Son of God dying on a cross as He hung between two thieves. And do you remember what one of those thieves said to Jesus? Jesus, remember me. When you come in your kingdom, remember me. Dear God, remember me. How many times have you prayed that prayer? How many times have you cried out those words? How many times have you doubted the answer? Remember me. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, I remember. I remember you. I remember this moment when you are near death. I remember you as you are drying up on this cross. I remember. Jesus said to him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, Jesus is telling him, we're not jumping off these crosses. 
I remember you, but we're not getting down from here. You're, you're not getting out of this predicament without some pain and suffering. And this dark, deserted place that you have found yourself in is not going to just vanish. It's not going to just go away. You're going to spend some time here and you're going to know some consequences. And this whole thing is going to leave a mark for both of us. But rain is coming. Relief is coming. See, Jesus offered him an umbrella in the desert. Just as we've been talking about. Our faith. A hope. A glimmer. A wonder. What's next? Rain is coming. Relief is coming. It's faith. This deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways we may not understand at the time. And so the thief turns his head. And he looks through his blood-soaked, swollen eyes at this man, a man who is in worse physical shape than he is right now. And somehow this thief sees what seems to be unimaginable. He sees that God is real. He sees that God is powerful and purposeful and unpredictable and trustworthy no matter what. He sees how faith in God is enough to carry us through every season of our lives which is what the Hebrews had forgotten. God's own people had forgotten. The leaders of Israel had given themselves over to sin, to idolatry. They rejected God. And sin, as we saw last week, does not occur in a vacuum. It does not happen in a vacuum. It's not just the sinner who's affected by the sin, but everyone around that person, everyone who has a relationship with that person, everyone influenced by that person. It's a spiritual wake effect. And so God's prophet. Elijah tells King Ahab, drink up, drink up while you can because God's about to turn the water off and a drought is coming. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17. See, famine broke out across the land, but God sent His prophet to a place far away, sheltered him where God could provide flowing water for him and, and feed him by sending birds to bring him food, ravens. And Elijah went... Elijah obeyed God and God blessed Elijah and was glorified through Elijah's obedience. And so in verse 8 we read, After a while the stream dried up because there was no rain in the land. See, sometimes obedience will lead you into a famine because God has a bigger plan for you. And the water stopped moving because the prophet needed to start moving. Because God remembered. God remembered. In the auditorium on Sunday nights, I know you've been studying the, the, the providence of God. And there is hardly to me a clearer picture of providence playing out than in this season of Elijah's life. And so the Lord told him in verse 8, You get up and go to Zarephath in Sidonian territory. And you live there. I have already told a widow who lives there to provide for you. So he got up and went to Zarephath. And when he went through the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. He called out to her, Please give me a cup of water so I can take a drink. And as she went to get it, he called out to her, Please bring me a piece of bread. You know, pause here a second because I couldn't help but think of life in our house. You know, and moms, you relate to this. Mom, can you, can you get me such and such? And you're on your way to get And will you bring me this while you're... Coming back, you know how that goes. And so Elijah, give me water, now give me bread. And she said, as certainly as the Lord our, your God lives, 
I have no food except for a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And right now I am gathering a couple of sticks for a fire. Then I'm going home to make one final meal for my son and myself. And after we have eaten that, we will die of starvation. Here's what I've learned about my own life and drought. Is that when I have arrived at a place of drought, I always seem to find somebody else is already there. Someone else has been there longer than I have been. And someone else has been there harder than I have been. See, I think that sometimes God will show you how great your supply is by sending you to someone who has a greater need. We need that to remember. These are fascinating events to me in the, in taking place here. You see, Zarephath was in the land in Sidon. And wicked King Ahab, who's, you know, his, he, he was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back and brought God's wrath down in this form of this drought, his idolatrous practices filled this land. See, King Ahab was married to an idol-worshiping woman named Jezebel. And guess what? Her daddy was the king of Sidon. See, the very town that God sent Elijah to was right in the middle of Jezebel's hometown. Most of the people there, probably all the people there, worshipped Baal. So how would the prophet of the one true God ever be welcomed, ever be taken care of in a place like this? See, first God shelters Elijah at the brook, far away from from the dangers of King Ahab. And then He drops food to him by way of ravens. But as we know it, life has a cycle. Life goes in this cycle. I feel great today, and tomorrow I'm sick. People are in my life today, and tomorrow they are gone. Car starts today, and tomorrow the battery is dead. True story this week. Elijah has gone from feast to famine. God is moving him from feast to famine. Not because he was disobedient. See, we think that sometimes. Must must have done something wrong for this to be happening. God didn't move Elijah to famine because he was disobedient. He didn't move him to famine because he had rejected God. He He didn't move him to famine because he had done evil like Ahab. Elijah has been obedient to God the entire way. So God, why is this happening to me? That's not Elijah. Elijah didn't ask that. That's Sean. That's what I asked. Those are my words. How about you? Those ever been your words? See, sometimes obedience will lead you into famine because God has a bigger plan. God had made a way for Elijah's life to intersect with a woman who would have never known this prophet. Never. There is no imaginable scenario where Elijah and this widow ever meet. Never. None but God. But God. See, the same events that test us can often become the means by which God is able to use us to minister to others. God cares for us, but we're not alone. He cares for others too. And He often seeks to minister to others, to people around us, through us and by us, through character changes that that He is seeking to produce in our lives, through our own suffering and our own need. That's how God works. You know the story of Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. But God, but God what? God provided an opportunity for Joseph 
through his obedience to rise to prominence and power. And what did that do for him? It put him in a position to where he was eventually able to save not only his old family, but an entire nation when they were going through famine. But God, Joseph locked in a pit, chained by slave traders, imprisoned in Egypt, and all along the way, Joseph has this umbrella. Not a drop of rain. But his faith in God reminded him daily that rain is coming. Relief is coming. And when it did, Joseph was able to explain to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, As for you, you meant to harm me, but God intended it for a good purpose so He could preserve the lives of many people as you can see this day. See, God blessed Elijah and God was glorified through Elijah's obedience. And others were blessed by God because of Elijah's obedience. God intended it for good. So Elijah goes into the heart of this famine. Two most unlikely methods now, providing relief for Elijah. We got it. The ravens who feed him, ravens who are known to even neglect their young in order to satisfy themselves. And now we got a widow. We have a widow, a woman, outside the circle of God's own people, living in a nation most hostile to God and His people. How would you save this prophet? How would you have done it? The sources God chooses to use often test our own submission and faith. I mean, how could God possibly supply through this destitute woman? How can He do this? God only wants us to trust Him regardless of how things look to us. See, Elijah's starving now. He's tired. He's affected by the emotional roller coaster that he's been on. Feast and famine traveling into this hostile territory. He's got nothing. He's got nothing but this umbrella that God has given him. This promise of relief. And yet the stream is dry. The wells are empty. And so is Elijah's stomach. So God says, get up. Go. And you live there. He didn't say pass through. Walk through and see what you find. He said live there. Spend some time there. Take up roots. See, the world depends upon God. And the prophet depended upon God. And this widow depended upon God, even though she didn't realize it yet. Even Ahab and his own twisted, wicked ruling of his kingdom depended upon God. You depend upon God. I depend upon God. When it feels like your life or even one acre of it is drying up because of relational famine or spiritual famine or or good health famine or income famine. God remembers. God remembers. And perhaps He's waiting on us to remember too. See, many times before there's relief, before we can even hope to understand God's answer for us, there's this test of faith. There's this trying. See, like Elijah pointing his feet towards Sidon or this widow pointing her feet towards the kitchen. And she said, As certainly as the Lord your God lives, I have no food. i got nothing except a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. You feel like that at times? God, i got nothing. Everybody's wanting something. i got nothing. All i got is a little olive oil and some flour. That's all i got. 
I got enough to get through this moment. She said, right now I'm gathering a couple of sticks for a fire. Then I'm going home to make one final meal for my son and myself. After we've eaten, we're going to die. This is it. This is it for us. See, you don't understand what you're asking. This is it. We have one last measly meal to choke down. And then we just wait for it all to end. See, God sends us people and opportunities and options throughout our lives. And many times we just write, return to sender, and we send it back. God send us opportunities to build our faith, to glorify Him, and we write, no thank you, and we send it back. And we wonder why we're struggling in our faith. God, you don't understand what you're asking. I'm emotionally spent. I'm financially spent. I'm physically spent. I'm just waiting for all this to end. And just like with Elijah, God wants us to obey so that He can be glorified and so that we can experience His provision. Blessed to be a blessing. And so here's this woman. Verse 9, God says that He has commanded, tells Elijah, I've commanded her to feed you. Yet she seems afraid. She's resistant to meet this prophet's request. So what's the deal? Did God speak to her? Did they have some kind of Conversate, private conversation before Elijah arrived? Did God carve this commandment and some stone for her and, and give it to her? Why is He even speaking to this Gentile woman? See, when Scripture says God commanded, the sense here is not necessarily that He spoke the words, you do this, to this woman. See, God's command is God's will made known. See, Elijah, my will is, there's a widow woman that's going to feed you. So Go. Do what I've asked you to do. What's going on here is not a conversation, but a declaration. God says, you go because I've arranged for you to be provided for. I'm going to do something for such a person and in such a way that everyone will know God is at work. God is at work here. And Elijah, the, the least likely person to be found inside on, being cared for by the least likely person, able to provide the care. No way. No way. God's way. Absolutely, God's way. But see, I'm not able to teach someone about Jesus. I'm not the right person to volunteer for that service opportunity that you're asking us to help with. I'm not ready to be put in that position of responsibility. I don't know enough. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. God didn't have to explain to Elijah how this widow was going to provide for him. He didn't go through that plan with him. He just said, you go. I'm taking care of it. Do what I've asked you to do. I'll handle the rest. And even though this widow was afraid, afraid of speeding up what she was certain would be death by starvation, she obeyed. She obeyed a God that she didn't worship. This foreign woman who would seem to be as far away from God as she could be was more obedient than the children of Israel who were God's chosen people. But didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to Me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of My Father in heaven. And Elijah acknowledged her fear. I understand you're afraid. And certainly he empathized with her after all he'd been through. 
And so Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you planned. But first make a small cake for me and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. And she went and she did as Elijah told her. And there was always enough food for Elijah and for her and her family. And the jar of flour was never empty and the jug of oil never ran out. Just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. God provided Elijah an umbrella in the desert. Cool water. Fresh food. And now God is going to use Elijah as His umbrella to provide for this destitute widow. Blessed to be a blessing to others. And all glory and all honor and all praise is going to go to Jehovah Jireh. The God who will provide. And Elijah recognized his greatest need wasn't things. His greatest need wasn't that water running in the brook that dried up. His greatest need wasn't the food dropped to him by some C-130 raven. His greatest need was not a changed environment. His greatest need was not people. The greatest need was God. Always. God is our greatest need. Why does God sometimes dry up His supply? Perhaps it's because God needs to relocate us. Maybe He needs to relocate our thoughts. Maybe He needs to relocate our acknowledging. Maybe He needs to relocate our purpose. Perhaps it's because there's someone somewhere who would otherwise have never gone. To whom we would have never known who is waiting. Someone prepared by God to administer His relief to us or receive His relief from us by you, by me. So God says, fear not. Don't be afraid. As the poet reminds us, the, the Word of God is as certain a day as it has ever been. As we read in Psalm 118, the Lord is on my side. I'm not afraid. What can people do to me? What can people do to me? Perhaps you're afraid this morning. Are you focused on the problem rather than the Lord? Because that's how Satan uses our fear. He shifts our focus away from God and onto what we consider to be our greatest fear, our greatest hurt, our greatest need, when our greatest need is God. What are you facing right now that needs God's supply? Are you resting in Him for your needs? Or where's your focus? What are you focused on? For this, the Lord God of Israel says, your jar of flour will not be empty. And your jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain. Until He brings relief into your life. And the truth is, that relief may not come until we realize our eternal relief. This entire remainder of your life may be spent in drought. It may be, and you're carrying around an umbrella, feeling foolish. What good is this? It's to remind you that we have a home, a house, a land, a place prepared, not with hands, but eternal in the heavens. That's God's promise. And along the way, He'll send us a drop. As parched as we may feel, 
And it may come from you. It may come from me. It may come from a brother or sister beside you. It may come from some foreigner in a foreign land. So far away from God, you would never expect Him to be there or to work there. That's how God does things. That's how He rolls. (laughs) See, Satan would have us think otherwise. Satan can have us licking the dust of the desert, believing that it's water. That's how sin works. But let the Lord reign His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness in your life today. Just as we've seen He did for this prophet Elijah, for this widow. What are you thirsty for today? What relief have you been asking God for that you're still waiting on? We want to encourage you today because there's a lot of us in here who are still waiting. A lot of us in here who are still dry. And we want you to know that. You're not walking through this alone. This is the human experience. This is the Christian experience. This is the experience of faith. That's what we do. We walk by faith, not by sight. This morning, if we can pray for you as we've assembled together, as brothers and sisters as a family, and encourage you, lift you up, provide you maybe this morning one drop of God's relief to get you through one more day, then we want to do that for each other. And if you are not a child of God, if you have not been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and Satan has still got you living in a desert, believing that you are in a great oasis. But guess what happens to oasis? They eventually disappear. But the cleansing that we receive from Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from all of our sins as we are faithful to Him and as we repent when sin gets a hold of us. So this morning, I ask you, what are you thirsty for? What do you need to remember? I pray you remember how much God loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him might not perish, but would have eternal, everlasting life with Him. This morning, if we can help you and encourage you in any way as you think about this message from this prophet's life, will you come now as we stand and sing?